This is an ABC podcast. Can you be more Pacific? With Sarah and Dean on ABC Radio Australia. Bulabinaka and welcome to another week of Can You Be More Pacific? My name is Sarah Nangama and as always, I'm joined by my media bestie, Dean Halatau. Fakalofalahia to everyone and welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Merry Christmas uh, to you and all your families. We're going to have a, a look back at some of our favourite bits from the year. Yes, we are, including an interview with Pauline Pilia Rasambala in the lead up to the World Cup. One of our favourite You Can Ask That Questions, talking about our best pump-up chats in the change rooms. And we'll hear from our man on the ground, Peter Pasal, his chat with uh, PNG's football captain, Alwyn Comalong. We've got an uh, interview with Henry Perinara, who was awesome to chat to a referee from the NRL. And we've got uh, You Can Ask That Question that talks about retirement, something that I've experienced. Noah time on Can You Be More Pacific? This week for Talanoa Time, we're very lucky to be joined by Pauline Piliar-Rasambale. She is a New South Wales Waratah and this year became Wallaroo 181. Pauline, welcome to Can You Be More Pacific? Hello, how are you guys? So, so good. Now, Pete, we've had you on the show before, but we have some new listeners who've just joined us. So could you please tell us where you rang from in the islands? So I was born in Samoa, um, in Apia, uh, and I haven't gone back since. So I was probably about maybe one, not even one years old, maybe about nine months or so when we ended up moving over to New Zealand. Um, but yeah, both parents are from Samoa um, and yeah, and pretty much just grew up in Australia since I was about two. Yeah. Well, I tell you something, I'm Australian rugby and I'm certainly um, very bloody happy to have you here and, and playing some code um, with Pauline, since the last time that we spoke to you, so much has happened in your rugby career and so many exciting things. And the first thing I want to touch on is your debut for the Wallaroos. Now, you and I have been chipping away at this for quite some time and we're very fortunate to actually cap on the same evening. But take us back to that week when you first found out that you were going to be in the 23 and how that whole game day experience was for you. Oh, wow. Um, so, so. Yeah, obviously it was great to um, to be able to debut with you, Sarah, in that game, which was very special. Um, but yeah, so leading up to that game and leading up to the to the moment where I was they'll name in the twenty three, um, just so much emotions were going through, and knowing that my partner and the kids were going to be there just made it feel so real. Um, I'm just kind of getting a little bit emotional now, just talking about it. I am too. I got watery eyes. I can remember us at some point. Yeah. yeah. Um, but no, so it was, it was absolutely so special to be able to see my name getting called out and, you know, named in the 23, like just everything that I've worked so hard for, the sacrifices that we've made leading up to that moment, just, yeah, it just made made it so special. And then to be able to stand side by side, singing the national anthem, I think I had waters in my eyes just thinking about, you know, trying to think about the words and, and while trying to sing the anthem. 
um, uh, yeah, just it was just so special just having the girls side by side next to me and be able to do that. And then right from the whistle to kick off, um, yeah, I was just super pumped. But what was more special for me was after the game. Um, just it was, oh my gosh, I'm getting emotional. I love it. <laughs> um, I love it. This is your time, girl. Tell your story. Yeah. So it was after the game. Um, I was looking everywhere for my husband and and the boys. Um, I wanted to literally walk over there, and when I found them, oh, I started bawling my eyes out, and I gave my husband a great big hug. And the kids, my two boys, massive hug. And, yeah, like, I think just that moment alone was more about everything, all the sacrifices, everything, all the trainings that, you know, we had to do, um, all the time away from the kids. That was that moment leading, like, that had led to that moment there, just being able to go up there and just hug my husband after that game. Um, yeah, it was it was a special one, definitely. I've got goosebumps because I can, I'm totally reliving that day now in my head, but there was also a really special moment and you didn't know about it and we only found out about it after the game is that when they were doing the team read or the team list read um, ahead of the match, they read your new name, which is now Pauline Piliar-Rasambale. You now have your husband's name attached to it and I know that was quite a significant moment for you as well. Yeah, it was because um, when... That week, I was telling um, our manager, Ferg, about it, just like, hey, look, this has happened. Um, is it possible? And so when they said that, yeah, it's possible, but it might be showing in the next game. So they said that it might show in the, the game for Japan. And I was like, okay, great, that's cool. And then when my name got called out over the speaker in the stadium and uh, my husband, he was more shocked. He actually started tearing up in the stands when he heard my name and with his last name right next to it. Yeah, I, I love hearing this. That's awesome. Like to hear the emotion about uh, the lead up to the match and then uh, to to the after the match, you finding your husband and your kids and and having that moment. I, I'm interested to know playing club rugby, playing Super W now up to international and and having to take all that in. How different is that that approach? to a game and then also everything that goes with it uh, on the international stage? Um, yeah, like, it's it's just, it's it's different, obviously, like, with in terms of the level, but um, I think more so that I was just enjoying the fact that I was able to play rugby with the girls. Like, I think that was more my intake for any kind of game. Like, yes, it's a big deal that like, I'm playing my test match, but... To be able to go out there and play rugby was and enjoy doing that was yeah is what I always look forward to. And you spoke before about the sacrifices that you've made and the extra work you you put in. And I know we spoke about this last time you're on the show. And, and I've seen your socials. You, you're constantly working on your game away from um, I guess your structured training with your teams. Is that something that you, you your success that you you're sort of you're having now in the national jersey? Is that is that what you put it down to those those extra sessions that you are doing away from um, what's required from the team itself? Yeah, definitely. Like it's all it's all about those little details that you can kind of go away and do with yourself or do with you know like a partner or a friend that it's, yeah like those are the little things that no one else can see and and if you can just do that and and focus on those little details those one percenters like I think these last few weeks um, it's been all about 
detail in our work and detail in the skill or um, and just if you can nail those and everything else will come together yeah Pauline, we've been on a huge year so far with rugby and been on a couple of tours so far, but it'd be so interesting to hear your take on how, like, how do you feel like the Wallaroo season is faring? And, I mean, there's been so much been put in already for our preparations for World Cup. Yeah, I think it's going pretty well. Um, obviously, the game that we've just had over the weekend wasn't the best result. Um, we wanted we would have wanted to come out of it, um, but I think... You know, since we've been a part of this campaign this year and going away on those tours, we can definitely see that the Wallaroos are building. Um, and so it's, it's been an absolute great campaign so far, like just being able to build connections with the girls off the field as well as on the field. And I can honestly see and believe that these girls are building too and will peak when it comes to World Cup. So, no, I'm really excited to see how far this is going to go. Last week you played in the fullback position, which um, isn't like absolutely capable of playing there, but we know you to be a 10 or a 12. How did you find the transition to being the last line of defence for us? Um, definitely a little bit more challenging on defence, um, but otherwise it, I, I enjoy it back there. Like uh, I like that we get I get a little bit more time with ball in hand to be able to make decisions whether I'm going to distribute or carry. Um, and it's it's really no different to a ten. Um, it's only this time you do have that a little bit more time, and you kind of you're the eyes of the ten as well. So, um, other than that, I've honestly just been enjoying it, like just having a little bit more space on the edges. Um, so yeah, no, I'm I'm comfortable there, but I am still learning um, to play fifteen. But yeah, I'm, overall, I'm just happy to be on the field, and I think anyone would be. What are I guess? What are some of the lessons that you, you've taken away from um, maybe your, your earlier Test matches, but um, last week coming up against a pretty strong team in the Black Ferns? And as you said, look, preparations are all towards the World Cup at the end of the year. But what are some of the lessons that, that you're learning at the moment? Um, I think some of the lessons, like these last couple of weeks, it's all about mental. Like we've been doing a lot of mental mental fitness stuff um, with DK. And I think, like, we, yes, yes, we're doing a lot of the physical prep around rugby and, and building up to the World Cup. But I think, yeah, it, a lot of it does come down to mental prep. And, and we've learned a lot of that over the last couple of weeks with DK, uh, which has been quite helpful um, for myself as well. So, yeah, like, yeah, I guess that's probably got a lot to do with that. I guess the last question from me, P, is talk us through your game day ritual. Like you are a game driver, so you walk into a, a match with a little bit more information and a little bit more responsibility than everyone else because you have to drive us around the field. So take us into your game day ritual. What does it look like? Um, yeah, sure. So since I've been a part of the Warriors, um and on game days, I... FaceTime my partner. So we first thing in the morning, whether it's before breakfast or after breakfast, my partner and I will FaceTime and I'll be talking to him and the kids and we'll kind of go through like a, we actually end up, we always do like a prayer. Um, so in Fiji, that's called a muscle. So in the mornings, that's what we will do. We'll, we'll break up the day, like we'll start the day together as a family and we'll do like a prayer 
so the kids um, will will share a Bible verse and then we'll both share a Bible verse and and then my husband will finish off with a prayer. Um, and then after that, it's just all about, for me, it's all about just downtime. I, I try and stay off my phone as much as I can, off socials, just to kind of really relax myself and my mind and stuff like that, take my mind off of rugby until like we hit the change rooms and then that's kind of like, or just an hour or so before change rooms and that's kind of where I want to switch my mind on, focus on the rugby. But otherwise, yeah, most of the day I'll just be um, just kind of just chilling, um, just downtime with my just myself. And then, yeah, as it gets closer and closer to kickoff, I'll yeah, start to switch on and get all rugby mode. Love that. Well, Pete, before we let you go, what we love to do with our guests is run a segment called Tip On. It's basically 60 seconds of rapid fire questions. You have played this before, but the question oh, is, do you want yeah. to play it again? <laughs> um, okay, I'll give it another crack because I, I kind of do remember some of my answers last time. But yeah, yeah oh, we, but I we promise played. you they're new questions, so you'll you'll be uh, you'll be in for a treat. Um, well, okay. without further ado, the clock is on. What is your favourite drink? Uh, Sprite. When are you most productive? Uh, at night. What was your worst subject at school? Math. What scares you? Flies. Flies? No, I said flying. Oh, flying. <laughs> Have you ever been in love? Yes. Sunrise or sunset? Sunset. Who is your celebrity crush? Uh, Channing Tatum. What reality TV show would you go on? Uh, Home and Away. Oh. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> yeah. Thongs or slides? Wait, sorry, what was that one? Thongs or slides? Slides. What would be your spy name? Spy name? Oh, I don't know. Okay. What is your Hogwarts house? Hogwarts house? Yes. Gryffindor. Gryffindor. That is fair. I, I reckon I'm Gryffindor too. What would be your spy name? You could be like... Spy name. I don't know. What could be yours? Oh. Fly half. Because it's totally original. <laughs> and so dry as well. What a lame call from myself. Oh. Pauline, um, on both behalf of uh, Dean and I, thank you so much for joining us and Can You Be More Pacific. Looking forward to seeing um, our team turn it around against the Black Ferns and uh, can't wait to see what your future holds because it's hella blood bright, sister. <laughs> no, thank you so much for having me, guys. It's been awesome. That was Pauline Piliate Rasambale. She is a current Wallaroo. She's a New South Wales Waratah. She's a gun and can't wait to see her roll around for the Wallaroos. Can you be more Pacific? On ABC Radio Australia and ABC Sport Digital Radio. You can ask that. Your chance to ask what it's really like to be an elite athlete on Can You Be More Pacific? Yeah, Sarah, it's that time of the show where we dig into our favourite um, segment. You can ask that. It's where you can send a question in, listeners, to our either a current or former player, uh, athlete, whatever you want to call us, me being the current, Sarah being – sorry, me being the former, Sarah <laughs> being the current – Anyway, Sarah, where's that question come from this week and what is it? This question comes from Sione in Brisbane and he asks, what was your best pump-up chat? This is a good one. 
This is great. We, we, Take us into the inner sanctum. Well, I, I don't really have a specific like one that's like really good, but I know who was really good at pumping me up, like good good coaches and good players that were um, had a way with words and could actually be really direct and make you understand what you were trying to do. So Michael Ennis, who's a bit of a pest and people like love him or hate him, uh, he's a commentator now on, on, on Fox Sports and he's he's a really good speaker. He speaks really well and he often would find the right thing to say at the right time to sort of pump you up. So I really love listening to, to Michael when he would do our pregame address. That was always the time that I that I really got into it. Um, Tim Sheens knew what to say as well at the right time, but he always had a lot of quotes and a lot of sayings that were really relevant so he was like a, a like a philosopher type coach like he'd bring trust out, the process yeah he'd drop he'd drop the things uh, like one of his favorite things was that you want the intensity to be really like high before a game so yes. you want the atmosphere you want to cut it with a knife that was always something that he used to talk about and um he wanted to get you in the right frame of mind to go out and bash people that was kind of where he'd go with things, but also very detailed on game plan and that. So I don't really have anything specific as in like remember, remembering, a, remembering a moment, but just a couple of people that were really good motivators. What about yourself? Um, Michael Ennis, that's also very interesting to me. That, that's Yeah, he just had a way with words. Like he, he, he knew what to say. I mean, the, the follow is the gift of the gab. He's got yeah. one of the top spots at Fox Sports, so good on him. <laughs> um, for me, what was my best pop-up chat? I don't have a pre-game moment. Oh, actually, there's two that stands out to me, but my top, top one that I've always kept was it was my first premier, uh, first grand final, sorry, with Sydney University. And um, we were in the lead up against Parramatta Two Blues. We're at a park in Blacktown. There's nothing flash about it. We're standing there all in a huddle, and our coach at the, at the time, Phil Brown, um, turns to us and he says, girls, there's 40 minutes left. You choose whether you want to win or not. And I just thought... Yeah, that's so true. Like it doesn't all, you know, everything else can become noise and all the chat and, you know, the referee and his calls can be controversial. But essentially when it comes to the game, it's about the 15 girls on the pitch buying in and and making a choice as a collective that they want to win and they'll take nothing less. So that was a really, it's something so simple yet so profound. And then another that sticks out to me was when I debuted at, uh, in Brisbane earlier this year with the Wallaroos, we were in our change room and our captain, Shan Parry, spoke and said, you know, we haven't had a game in over a thousand days and here we are. We now have the opportunity to run out in front of our family and friends and like just, I guess, the sentiments of the moment and also my debut and how long it had been that women's rugby had to pretty much go and hold in this country, um, kind of just all tied in that moment. So those are two standout moments for me. I love this, like the simplicity of that one from your, um, your coach for Sydney Uni in your first grand final. You choose. like It, it puts it squarely on individuals, but as a group, you, you all get the same message, and I, I really like that. Yeah. I think that's so – Phil Brown, you didn't give me much, but that, that always <laughs> stuck with me. Love you, man. Love you. Anytime you come to Sydney, come, come see me. <laughs> It was a pretty good question. I like that from Sione. And uh, if you've got a question, you can send it through to our DMs on Instagram. I'm at Dean Hullitow and Sarah is at Sarah Nangama. Can you be more Pacific? With Sarah and Dean on ABC Radio Australia. Time to change the pace as we head to PNG for a report from our man on the ground, Peter Pasol. This is Peter Pasol reporting for ABC Sport Radio Show. Can you be more Pacific? I've got Elwin Comalong here with me. 
He is the men's national soccer team captain. Uh, the team is called The Couples. Uh, first of all, welcome to the show, Alban. Hi, Peter. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. All right, just tell us quickly that uh, your your history in soccer, how you uh, you you uh, got involved, and your highlights, the key highlights in your career. Ah, uh, yeah. So, um, born and raised in Leh, Papua New Guinea. Um, started playing football. Actually, got into it in Australia in Brisbane, under sixes in Oxley. Um, moved back to PNG. Um, played a bit of youth soccer here and there, and then it really started to get serious um, when I um, captained the under-17s to New Zealand. That sort of opened the door for um, a few opportunities that came up. Uh, went to high school there, played for Waitakere and um, Liston College for school, um, which again opened another door to go into college, um, something which I didn't really have in mind at the time. But, you know, one thing led to another and I was in college in the U.S., uh, in northern Kentucky, um, yeah, it was an interesting time there, but I learned a lot, you know, got an education at the same time. Um, and then straight after coming back, um, or actually during my time in college, we had the Pacific Games. Uh, where the we, 2015 Games? Yeah, 2015 Games. And yeah, we became, uh, we won the bronze medal, which was actually our first medal, not first medal, but a medal after 30 years for the men's team, which was, it didn't happen in a long time. So that was a pretty big career highlight there. It was actually under a Kiwi, uh, Ricky Herbert. So, um, yeah, we, um, after college, yeah, basically came back and we were in the middle of a World Cup qualifying campaign. Uh, we eventually lost to Solomon Islands, which knocked us out. Um, um, but then at the time, Fleming Seritzlev, the coach, uh, had an opportunity in Germany for me. So I sort of made the move to Germany, not knowing what was coming my way. It was a whole professional environment. Uh, the club was Stuttgart Kickers, who at the time I didn't know was a big traditional club in Germany. Um, they had a big history. Um, me not knowing what was going on ended up... You've got some German ancestry, though? Yeah, I've got German ancestry, <laughs> um, but not, not footballing blood in me from Germany. But, um, yeah, I uh, got there and my first game was against Bundesliga team VfB Stuttgart, uh, which was, at the time, I didn't know how big and significant it was, but looking back, it was a pretty big game. You had big big names like Asano, Ginczek, um in the starting 11, and Brekalo, who went to the World Cup final, he was in the team. Um, but yeah, I think after that game, the club was convinced they signed me. Um, I had a, a good year there, learned a lot, a lot of ups and downs, really got to know what German football was like. Um, German cultures, well. yeah, it's very, very demanding. Put it that way. Um, so yeah, and then I had a bit of time off, um, was off contract, and then I eventually made, um, uh, got myself signed at Fortuna Cologne, which was playing the third Bundesliga. So um, that was a massive achievement because I, I didn't know it, but at the, uh, it ended up, I ended up being the first Papua New Guinean to necessarily sign in one of the three top leagues in Germany, which was I was pretty proud of. And um, yeah, moving on from that, uh, picked up an injury, came back home. Uh, actually, sorry, played Pacific Games 2019. Uh, we in Samoa. In Samoa, that's right. Lost to Fiji. Um, lost to Fiji and then... You won a medal? No, we lost to oh, Fiji okay. in the bronze. Oh, okay. um, came back, I sort of picked up an injury and... That was just about when COVID started, so I found myself <laughs> stuck here in 
stuck here in PNG and uh, luckily enough I had Le Biscuit, Ian Chow, he wanted to sign me so gave me a good deal and I've sort of been with them ever since. So this is the Le, uh, Le, Le franchise, what do they call them? Uh, Le City FC, yeah. Le City FC, uh, champions of the National Soccer League and uh, now you're looking forward to to uh, the season that's going to come up when it comes up but before that uh, you, you took the team uh, to Qatar and uh, played in the Oceania Confederate uh, Championship and also World Cup qualifying World Cup qualifying campaign. Tell us about that. Yeah, it was uh, an amazing experience. I mean, um, it was, first of all, Qatar is, is just world-class in terms of the facilities they have. You can tell that they're really getting ready for the World Cup. Um, it's nothing like, you know, we were at the point where people didn't know how to play on such nice nice pitches because we're used to the ball bobbling around in, in PNG. Um, but yeah, we we had a we had a strong showing there. You know, after three uh, three years out of out of the game, not playing any international matches, and you know the preparation we had, no friendly matches and stuff like that. And to perform the way we did is a performance to be proud of. I mean, we held New Zealand to one nil after what would most would say a controversial goal. Um, but you know, to do that against a team of professionals that do it day in day out, um, that we we were pretty proud of the performance. Yeah, and again, the group we had was not that not uh, was pretty tough. Sorry, uh, we had New Caledonia and Fiji who always do well in these tournaments. We don't really have a good record against New Caledonia, and we came out with the win against them. And against Fiji as well, and faltered. Yeah, against those pesky Solomon yes, Islands. Yes, Solomon Islands. We sort of stumbled there, but um, that, that's one of the, those games that could have gone either way. It was, um, I'd say, an evenly contested match in terms of skill and um, whatnot. But yeah, it they is what it is. Yeah, yeah, they took yeah. their they took their chances. All right, now looking forward to what's going to happen next year for you. Are you going to be still playing soccer competitively, or you're going to go into business full time, or what? What what's happening? Uh yeah. So we've got for the national team next year in Solomon Islands, 2023. We've got that to look forward to. Hopefully, we get some international matches in between then. Um, and yeah, um, I'm also looking at other opportunities as well after the NSL. Um, I've had a few. Clubs? Clubs or opportunities sort of come on the radar in Melbourne and, you know, Australia, Brisbane, in in the US as well. So I'm I'm sort of keeping those um, in my back pocket and yeah, I'm yeah, just just here in PNG keeping fit and doing my best. Alright, finally, last thing. Apart from soccer, uh, what are your other favorite sports? Uh other favorite sports, rugby league, Brisbane Broncos. Yeah, rugby league. Uh, to be honest, I only watch really rugby league and and and, um, and football. As you should. I mean, it's so yeah. yeah. Um, in my time in America, I didn't really watch American Anything. football or basketball. I mean, I I sort of watch here every now and again, but okay, yeah, yeah. Really yeah, definitely. All right, Elwin, thank you very much for sharing us, uh, sharing with us uh, stuff about soccer yourself and uh, what you hope to accomplish in the future. Uh, it's back to you, Dean and Sarah, in the studio. Thanks, Peter. Can you be more Pacific? With Sarah and Dean on ABC Radio Australia.
Joining us for Talanoa time, we're very lucky uh, to have Henry Perinara. He is a former NRL referee. He's a former NRL player, uh, and he's an all-round good guy. Get to bump into Henry every now and then and uh, hear what's going on. Henry, thanks for joining us on Can You Be More Pacific? Very nice of you, Dana. How are you, mate? Going very well, going very well. Now, before we get into it, do you want to give the listeners a little bit of background uh, about yourself? Yeah, oh, sweet. So, um, you know, I grew up in New Zealand, grew up in Auckland. Um, from a uh, yeah, family of six boys, I'm the eldest of six boys. Mum's half Samoan and dad's half Māori. So, yeah, obviously got some Samoan Māori, Māori heritage. And then, um, yeah, moved over here in uh, 2000, year 2000. I uh, moved to Melbourne to play at the Storm. So, very lucky to play across five NRL clubs. And then moved into refereeing. And, uh, yeah, recently retired from there last year so that's the uh, nice short story of that mate you, you talk about moving from from New Zealand <laughs> to, to Australia what was uh, that initial um, tra- change like for yourself uh, moving over as a youngster uh, scary yeah that's probably <laughs> the best way to say it I I, pre- I never moved out of home I was one of those island boys um, that never never left home mum I didn't want to leave because mum's cooking was so good and I was <laughs> I was very French. appreciative of, of mum and dad yeah, yeah they're, they're getting older these days so uh, no it was it was good but yeah moving to Melbourne um, was very very scary I, I ended up moving uh, with a good friend of ours uh, Paul Fatuita so the both of us he good actually man, lived fat. with some um, legend um, so he actually moved with me so he was living he's from Wellington he um he moved with into my uh, parents' house with me for a year when we were at the Warriors together. And then we both signed at Melbourne together. Um, and to be fair, if it wasn't for Paulie, um, yeah, I, I would have probably turned around and come home after about two months because it was just, you know, obviously we had no family there. The only people we had were out each other. So it was, yeah, it was definitely an eye-opener. You've had an extensive career in rugby league. How did it all start for you? Did you start playing when you were youngster or when you were a teenager? Yeah, no, I, I grew up, I, I think I had one or two years of rugby. And the reason why... Should I have stayed. Be, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was just because we, you know, it was very much um, where you live and what, what field's closest. So I played, I played, I think, one or two years of suburbs rugby. And then went from there, um, you know, we, we moved house and then moved to a club called Newland Stags. Um, Tony Pulitou and Frankie, they were, when they were living over there, they were probably the most famous boys from there. Um, even though they only went there for probably one or two years, Stags boys, um, they claim them. So, but yeah, no, I grew up, I grew up in New Zealand and played rugby, uh, played footy over there. And, and then, yeah, pretty much went all the way through the, um, the system in New Zealand and then, yeah, went through to the Warriors and then obviously around the NRL clubs. How was, um, I guess when, when you're playing as a youngster, then moving into, like, like you say, into a, an elite system, what was that step up like for you? Uh, it, it was hard, but it was something like, I mean, back back in our day, like, I remember sitting in a room, I was 15, 16, making my first New Zealand team, and there was, I think there was 90 or 100 kids from 15s to, say, 17s or 18s, and they were, like, the best kids in the in the country. And I remember a guy come up, and he turned around, and he goes, look to your left, look to your right. He goes, out of out of the three of you, which one is going to make it? Because there's only 3% that will. Wow. And, and you were just sitting there just going, holy shit, like... Oh, excuse my language. Um, <laughs> like what? Like what? Like so? Then I was very much like I went to the very first Warriors uh, Warriors home game when they played the Broncos, and I, I remember walking out of there saying to my mum, "Mum took us all, me and the boys, 
And I remember saying to mum, I was like, I'm going to play for the Warriors when I was 15. And um, she, she was like every, I was pretty much like every other 15-year-old saying, you know, saying that. And mum was very much like, yep, all good, son, all good, you know, <laughs> thinking, thinking that. But, yeah, I was very, you know, super dedicated. And and I guess moving into the um, the professional level was, like, I, I really, really enjoyed it because I felt like that's something that I like, obviously really wanted to do for my whole life. We've touched on your playing career. Now we want to explore a little bit more of your transition into refereeing. What inspired that decision? <laughs> Not much, to be honest. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> well, what, so what happened was I, um, I, I had another shoulder reconstruction. I'd had, that was going to, it was my third shoulder reconstruction. <clears throat> I had also had an ankle reconstruction as well. Um, so I was 27. And then I actually, the year before, so I was at Cronulla, and the year before that, I was at Parramatta and I actually went for a development officer job because I was looking, like I had a son who was sitting right next to me, we were just finishing out the gym. Um, I, he was uh, probably 18 months. And after a game, I couldn't pick him up because my shoulders were so bad. So I couldn't pick him up for like two or three days. So that was like, as a young parent, that was obviously starting to affect me. And then I went for this job as a, uh, as a development officer um, for Western Sydney because it was that parent and they actually gave it to somebody else and the reason why they said that I didn't get the job was they couldn't understand why an NRL player would want to retire to do that to do the job when well like so I was pretty peed about that because like I was like well this is my decision like I'm doing it for my like these are my reasons and then when they didn't give it I was like so then I resigned I had had a year um I had a contract to go to Cronulla so I signed at Cronulla under uh, Ricky Stewart and then at the back end of the year the NRL actually approached me to do the cadetship um, and I didn't want to do it. I, I really didn't, but it was, um, yeah, no, ended up biting the bullet and yeah, 14 years later, like I honestly have to say it was probably the best decision I ever made. Yeah. I've, I've had a, a couple of conversations with you about this before, Henry, and um, you're, you're really encouraging about, you know, former players taking the pathway into referee um, or officiating, I should say, um, because you, you did enjoy it so much and, and you got that, you got your footy fixed in a different kind of way. What was the experience like? Um, you, you said it was the best decision you make, but what was that initial experience like becoming a uh, elite level referee? Yeah, like elite level is absolutely, it's it's unbelievable. I remember doing my debut and I was probably more nervous for my NRL referee debut than I was for my <laughs> NRL playing debut. And it was just, I don't know if it was age, but it felt like every decision, like when you're a referee, you you live every single decision. Whereas when you're a player, like you drop the ball and you just go, oh, damn it, blah, blah, blah. You kick the ground and throw stones or whatever. And then you're making another tackle. So you've pretty much forgotten about it. Whereas when you're a referee, because with the NRL, everything's so magnified. Um, so Which obviously you've got to be like super in focus, super, you know, super drilled and stuff like that. So, but I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. Like my actual very, very first refereeing experience was out at Wayland Park, out yeah. of Penrith, and um, I refereed an under 15s game. And like there was, well, I, was I can't even remember the schools, but one school was getting towed up, like getting smoked. And then um, you know, these boys, you could just see they're just starting to crack it. And I was like, oh no, here we go. But the thing is, as a ref, you you can't touch the players. It's just an, like a rule. You literally can't. And I wanted to get in between them and like just drag them because I've got the island boys. I just wanted to grab them and just say, oh, pull your head in like a 14, 15-year-old. <laughs> you can't do that. So 
So how did you manage the situation? I didn't. It just blew up in my face. <laughs> <laughs> You're just a bystander to this brawl. And you, yeah, and I was sitting there, and I actually said, um, "We had Steve, like Steve Clark, who was a former referee. He um, retired to take over us, like look after us." And I just said to him, "I was like, mate, all I wanted to do, I felt I could have stopped that straight away. I want to just grab the kid and just push him away and said, mate, that's it. Don't be stupid, you know. He couldn't even do that. And so you know, this massive blow, this massive blue kicks off." At the end of the game, I had to call a game off, and the kid got suspended for six months. Holy And and he he like to be fair, he deserved it, absolutely deserved it. But like, I was like, I could have stopped that by just grabbing him. But you know, that was obviously a bit of a, <laughs> a learning process. And that, <laughs> and that was my very first game as a ref. Oh God, one that would and definitely like, stay in the memory bank. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> Referees, they're not necessarily the most popular um, person on the field. You make decisions and, you know, some people will be happy with it and some won't. How do you manage or how do you keep your cool in those high-pressure moments? Uh, a lot of practice. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's hard and it's difficult. But I, get, I guess the, the biggest thing that, like, if I wish I learned so many different skills as a referee, I kind of wish I knew them as a player. I think I would have been a much better player. Um, it, it's very, very difficult because, like, as a player, when you make a mistake and you're going to make a mistake, you kind of are able to move on super quickly. But the problem with the ref, like, if you drop the ball, as Daniel would know, like, you drop the ball, they show it once or twice, but then they move on. If you make a mistake as a referee, they show it and then they show it again and then they show it again. And then, like, the chances are the only reason that you see it is because there's nine camera angles or minimum nine camera angles every game. Yeah. So they show an angle from behind where, like, like you're not going to see it because you're not Superman and you don't see X-ray vision. But the problem, the issue is that like people kind of want perfection because of all of the things. So that's yeah, it's it's pretty hard. You have to build up a fair bit of resilience, and obviously with um, so much media surrounding the game, you, you quickly learn to not read any papers or have social media. I get accused of being the uh, the boss of the referees union on this show because I always <laughs> go to bat for you, for you guys and well for your counterparts as well because I I get that I get that you you're, you've got one set of eyes making a decision well and you've got your, your touches and all that but um, there's things you're going to miss because you, you don't have X-ray vision and um, everyone wants perfection and anyone on the, on the bad side of a call is always going to feel um, hard done by but um, I've always got. The referee's backs. Don't worry about that. He really does. He's the man. That's why he's the man. <laughs> now, Henry, I, I mentioned obviously in, in the opener that you're a former referee. You've, you've recently retired from the game, so you've had two transitions in your rugby league career, so to speak. What's uh, your relationship like now uh, that you're out of the game? Uh, what's it like with rugby league? Uh, it's a lot better now. I, I think because I was involved with footy for so long, like I, I pretty much was in a full time system since I was 17. Uh, so, you know, obviously being involved for that long is over 20 years, especially with refereeing, it, it started to take its toll on me. Um, and there were things, there were things that I probably didn't enjoy and didn't like, and they started to, you know, probably affect me in ways that I didn't like it. And that was probably one of the big reasons why I ended up thinking, you know, now it's time for me to move on. Um, you know, and, and now it's, it's good because... I guess probably the back end of last year, I really didn't enjoy some of the games. And whereas normally I'd be someone that would watch it a lot, but I guess when you're involved with it for so long, it starts becoming a job. And one of the reasons why I ended up walking away was because 
rugby league gave me so much. Like it gave me everything. I didn't want to resent um, the game that gave me everything. So because if I felt like if I lost love for it, I may not get it back. So, you know, that, that was one of the big decisions why I moved on and, you know, super happy with the decision that I made. That's such an honest insight. Thank you for sharing that with us, Henry. Before we uh, let you go, we love to end on a light note with a segment called Tip One. It's basically 60 seconds of a rapid fire questions. Would you be down to play? Yeah, give it, give it a crack. Yes. And the clock is on. What have you been reading, watching, or listening to lately? Uh, the Hurt Locker. Uh, is the book. Yeah. A book? Okay. Who is your sporting hero? <laughs> it was Steve Kearney when I was growing up. Who was your most annoying teammate? Oh, geez. Danny Williams was pretty bad. <laughs> what would <laughs> be? Melbourne. Oh, yeah. What would be your wrestler entrance song? Oh, probably some 660 song. Yes, I was yeah. listening to them this morning. Yeah, they're amazing. What was your favourite movie as a kid? Home Alone. What's something you could eat for a month straight? Ice cream. Favourite place you've travelled to? Uh, Matata, where I'm from. Do you have a hidden talent? <laughs> I'm a closet geek. Okay. Who would play you in the movie of your life? Oh, jeez. Some banged up, washed up guy. <laughs> <laughs> On a scale of one Can't to ten, move. ten being the best, how good are you at keeping secrets? Uh, nine. Who, oh, sorry, what was your first concert? Venga Boys. Venga no Boys. Way. <laughs> yes, was, yeah. That's uh, iconic. I, I, I know that hidden talent, the numbers man. You're a numbers man, aren't you? Uh, yeah, well, you'd like to think that, but I actually um, probably I was involved in one of the most controversial games in refereeing, so I was involved in the seven-tackle <laughs> refereeing game. So you'd think I'd be a bit better. But, um, yeah, uh, can't well, count to six, but, you know, can add up numbers. Love it. Anyway, we all make mistakes. You learn, don't you? That's right. You learn. You learn. Well, Henry, it's uh, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thanks very much for your time, and uh, we wish you all the best for whatever's next. <laughs> Cheers, guys. Appreciate it. That was Henry Perinara, retired NRL player and NRL referee. Can you be more Pacific? With Sarah and Dean on ABC Radio Australia. Back with another week of our favourite segment, You Can Ask That. For any of our new listeners, this is basically an opportunity for you to ask either a former or current athlete absolutely anything. This week, we have a question from Rhonda in Arncliffe. And Hala, I think you might be suited for this one, but it says, how did you decide to retire and how important was it for you to prepare for that moment? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a good question because this is something that all athletes that um, compete at an elite level have to go through at some point. Um, not just that, there's, there's some people that dedicate a lot of their lives to, to performing in a sport and they may not get to the most elite level, but there comes a time when they, they probably decide that they don't want to play anymore. And it's, um, it's a pretty uh, challenging time, I would say, because for myself, I'd done it for 14 years as a professional and to start to think about when it was going to end was was a bit scary uh i'd turn up to training every day uh knowing that 
everything that I needed to do was laid out for me in terms of sessions. And um, I had to wear my football gear every day that was given to me by the club. So I knew what I had to wear, knew my schedule for the week, knew what the sessions were going to be. And I didn't really have to put much thought into that. Anything over and above, obviously, I had to do my extras and whatnot. But sort of coming to the realisation that I wouldn't have have that in front of me or have that laid out for me every week. I was like, okay, time to grow up, get a job and, and understand what the real world's like because it is a bit of a bubble when you're in a in an elite sport and, and that's what that's all that you do because that's, that's what I did, luckily enough, for a period. Um, but the decision to, to retire became because I was so... I felt like I was so far behind uh, when I was training, when I was doing um, fitness testing. Uh, not that I was unfit. I could I could still do it all, but... It was just such a grind for me to get through it. Even if I was still getting reasonable times, the effort was was quite difficult. So I just felt that if I had a hung in there any longer, I would have just been doing that hanging in there, and, and it wouldn't have been you know good performances, and I probably would have uh, resented what I was doing. So that was probably the triggering moment to to decide to retire. Yeah, right. And did you feel like you you knew or you? Did you feel like you had support um, to support that, I guess, that re- that retirement transition? Because I guess one day you'll be rocking up to training and the next day you're not obligated to anymore. Yeah, no, I was lucky enough that I, I had good relationships with our wellbeing and education manager when I was at the Tigers at the time and uh, also had a lot of friends that had retired in the years previous to that. So they had conversations with me, subtle conversations about what to expect. Uh, and also we're always there when I, when I needed to ask questions. My, my family as well were really supportive and encouraging of whatever it was I was going to do next. So um, in that regard, I was, I was, really, I was really lucky. Um, and I'd work closely with um, some people in the game that prepare for transition. We call it transition now. It's not retirement because thinking about retirement as a 30-something-year-old is, is not realistic. Like you've still got a long time of your life to work and, and to – and to do other things. So yeah, the transition was well supported around me and uh, I was very grateful and lucky for that. I guess for my, my question to you, Sarah, is are you preparing for when that day might come for yourself and how important it is, is it for you to, to prepare for life after sport? Yeah, I mean, I certainly have been thinking about it and um, it's no secret to anyone that I've been trying to um, – I guess, increase my, my media presence through commentary and hosting, et cetera. But um, all of those things, all of my media stuff, I know is is kind of an option for me because I have this life as an athlete as well. And it gives me a point of difference that I'm not just anyone, but I'm an athlete and I have these aspirations to, to grow in the media world. So the reason I say that is I am certainly using this time while I'm still a current athlete to build my media career um, and it's something that's so firmly on my mind and particularly also being a semi-professional athlete it's not like I only have an option to just focus on being an elite athlete and not have the capacity to take anything else on the the bittersweet reality of my life right now is I can be an elite athlete and also hold down a career and all of these things that I'm doing particularly while I'm still playing you know, in the likes of commentary and doing sideline stuff, etc., is because by the time I finish the game, I know that I've already put myself in a position to show anyone out there who, who may be looking at me or considering me to be an employee that I can do it. If I can do it while I'm juggling elite sport, I can absolutely do it without it. So, um, yeah, everything that I'm doing right now is looking at the bigger picture of I know that I'm not going to be playing you know, representative football for God, I don't know if I even have 10 years left in me. Um, I, it's probably a lot shorter than that. So I think the wisest thing for me to do now is 
you know, take any opportunity I have to, to build my career network as much as I can. Anytime that I'm invited to a sponsor lunch or to go to a sports clinic, like I'm taking business cards, I'm connecting with them on LinkedIn because again, my time as an athlete is, it has an, an expiry date. I just don't know when that is, but I just want to make sure that while I'm in this position, I am um, setting myself up for for a solid future. And um, thankfully, thankfully, rugby has allowed me to do that so far. That's really good advice, Sarah. I, I encourage any of our listeners out there that are trying to go down the path of elite sport to to do what Sarah's doing and to, to make sure that you're, you're putting time into what's happening away from, from the field, from the court, whatever, whatever it is you're choosing to do. Yes. So on that note, if you have any questions, please feel free to contact us on Instagram. My handle is at Sarah Nangama, or you can find Dean at Dean Hallitow. ABC Radio Australia. Your home of Sarah and Dean. That's all we have time for. Merry Christmas to you and your loved ones. Be sure to tune in again next week to hear plenty more of our best moments. And don't forget, you can hear all our episodes on the Radio Australia website, on the ABC Listen app, or wherever you get your podcasts. More there. It's all look here. Can You Be More Pacific? An ABC sport production for ABC Radio Australia. This program has been funded by the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade.